Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Um, we're taking the subject of beneficiaries and we split it into two parts. It ended up that we talked for an hour, right, Ben? And that's normally longer than, than we'll do a particular topic. So we've broken this into two parts and at places that we think make the, the most sense. So I hope you find that, that this part two is very beneficial to you. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. This is part two in our three-part series. We're talking about the elements of a revocable trust. Now, those of you who think that this might not be very interesting, hang with us. Because our goal in when we, when we do this show is to make this stuff relevant. We want it, don't want it to teach an academic class. We want this to be something that you can actually use and that will affect the quality of your life as well as the lives of your, those you care about. So when we talk about revocable trusts, it's not just a subject about what happens when you die, although that's an important subject. But maybe more important for you, depending on your circumstances, is what happens while you're alive. And revocable trusts are relevant to that, too. Uh, it's a way of taking care of yourself, managing the balance of your life through others when you're no longer able to do it. And then a similar thing happens when you pass away is that you can arrange for the best things to happen for those you care about in a way that they cannot do for themselves. Um, so we think we thought there was nothing better than to have one of the sharp lawyers over at Tucker Allen. They're all sharp over there. Uh, but to have one of the attorneys from Tucker Allen to join us today. Uh, ben Zinkel is joining us today. And uh, this is what you all do over there, right? Correct, yes. Yeah, you do estate planning. And now the practice, though, is not just older people. How would you describe the practice? The practice is all of our clients are, typically we get older people, uh, but we also get Younger people, people my age, people a little older, people middle age. Uh, estate planning is something that is for everybody. Like you said, it's during your life as well. Um, we don't like to think of ourselves as death lawyers. We're also we're, we're lawyers of life, life as well. Lawyers. You yeah. need to you need to plan for uh, what happens after life while you're living, and you're you're leaving a legacy to the people who to your beneficiaries and the people who you designate uh, to to leave your. Uh, yeah, so that that's why. Um, <laughs> That's why I like to talk about this subject is that it is relevant uh, to our lives in ways that many people don't realize. They think that, oh, my gosh, a will. Well, a will, incidentally, by definition, only talks when you're dead. So I, I, your, your assumption is correct. You're thinking that a will is only about your death. That's true. But that's not true of trust. And it's not true of the other things we talk about on this show, too. Uh, but I will say this in favor of wills. It does mean that that person is thinking about trying to take care of those they care about. Now, in the vast majority of cases, in our opinion, I think that Tucker Allen lawyers would agree, uh, in the vast majority of cases, a trust should be involved. Uh, there should be a trust that does things much better, more effectively than just a will. But still, at least I respect somebody who's doing a will in that they're, they're trying to take care of something that could easily be put off put off and put off and put off until you can't put it off anymore because you're dead. <laughs> so so today we're going to talk about, though, 
uh, it's revocable trust is the overarching subject. Ben didn't join me the other day when I talked about the first segment, which was trustees. So today we're going to talk about beneficiaries, and we'll get right to the meat of the matter. Um, and and we can do that by talking about Ben. Tell us what a beneficiary is. So a beneficiary, in its simplest term, is somebody who benefits in the. In the world of estate planning, that means somebody who you list in or somebody that a person would list in their estate planning documents, whether it's a will, a trust, uh, or a transfer on death designation, for example, on a checking account. And this is something that a person would designate uh, a person or multiple people uh, to receive their assets after they pass away. Uh, you can also list beneficiaries for while, you, while you're living as well. But in its simplest term, it's somebody who receives a benefit uh, from somebody else or from a written instrument, just like we discussed, the uh, will or a trust. I want to remind you that it's very important to us to get subscriptions. Um, for you to press that like button is helpful. But the subscribe button is the most important thing to us. And, you know, we don't sell a product on here. I mean, naturally, the show is sponsored by Tucker Allen, so we do talk about Tucker Allen. But to be honest with you, the, the efforts that we put into this show is something that is of personal value to us more than monetary, quite frankly. We do love to do it because we think that we're being of great value to, to many of you. Let us know that. Uh, you like us, yes, but the most important thing we look at is subscriptions. So then let's imagine somebody's going to, uh, they want to develop a vehicle to, uh, to assure that their lives are taken care of. I mean, while they're alive, they want to be sure that, that the things that need to get done get done. And that includes payment on houses, mortgages. It includes paying bills like utilities. It includes making decisions even about where you're going to move to if that's necessary. I mean, think of all those decisions that have to be made. Renewing insurance, life insurance. There's so many things that if people just suddenly were inert and were unable to do anything to maintain their their life or their lifestyle— then suddenly lots of things would fall to the ground. And some of those things cannot be picked back up. I mean, when your life insurance, if you had a deal that was based on a life and a premium done years ago and you let that fall to the ground, there's a good probability you won't be able to pick that up. Uh, and there's lots of examples of that. So you want to be sure that if something happens that that there's somebody that can reach in and take care of those things. And and that that's kind of what, that, that's the key, that leads us to the key figure in a trust, and that's the trustee. So the, the trust is a vehicle that allows you to take care of those things you care about. And the trustee is the person that you appoint to assume responsibility for those things. And then the people that they are doing it for, as you described, Ben, are the beneficiaries. So what's cool about this is generally you, the client, will start out being the trustee and you'll start out being the beneficiary. And, and it's automatic. Describe how then the process takes place, this automatic process by which suddenly somebody's running their life, you're, they're a trustee and they're beneficiary. So everything is kind of going like it is before they had the trust. And then suddenly they're no longer able to do it. Call it a stroke. So what happens then? What would happen then is if somebody set up a trust instrument, you would set it up as a grantor. 
uh, and you would be the initial trustee there. And like you said, you would be the initial beneficiary. You'd receive everything from that trust. You'd have free free control over that trust and the, and the assets uh, in it. But say something were to happen to you, if you were to become incapacitated, uh, so if, if somebody were to set up a trust, they would set up successor trustees. And you can choose different trustees for whether you're incapacitated and when you pass away. Uh, most people like to keep it the same, just for ease, for uh, the ease and simplicity. Uh, and these initial, these successor trustees, rather, they would take over for this person, to, for the grantor who set up the trust and be the administrator of the trust and, and make sure that things are paid, things, uh, th- th- things are going to where they need to go. Uh, and, and on top of that, too, is if, if, if you are incapacitated, that trustee would take, take over while, you're, while that person is living. Um, but after that person passes away, the beneficiaries, as we're talking about today, would keep that trustee accountable. Without the beneficiaries, that trustee doesn't really have a job. They would they take care of the trust, but who would benefit from the trust? That would be the beneficiaries. So, so that that leads us in smoothly then to to what we want to focus on on this episode, which is beneficiaries. And you raised an interesting point. Um, one way to think about beneficiaries is these are the people that the trustee is supposed to be working for. And and if you've chosen, in fairness, if people choose well, if you choose well, then you have a trustee who's going to be conscientious. But I, I like the point that you just raised because it doesn't get raised enough. And that's that if people are concerned, yeah, but how do you know that the trustee is going to do the job they're supposed to do? I mean, what if they, you know, start, you know, my brother-in-law, for example, that you might have listed, person you think has good judgment and you trust, pretty far. <laughs> you know, it might be nobody, it might be no brother-in-law's trust the whole way, but but some people don't trust anybody completely. Uh, so let's say that that there's a possibility that somehow things will go sideways. What happens then? And you just raised a point that a lot of people don't think about. You know, you do have people there who are going to be watching the trustee and who do have some authority. Can you talk more about that? About, about the authority that the I mean, beneficiaries do have some authority if they think that a trustee is misbehaving. Yes. Uh, when a person makes a trust, they outline in the trust terms how to remove a trustee, how to uh, different ways that you can get courts involved. You can just have a vote of the beneficiaries to to remove a trustee or appoint a new trustee. And that's kind of where that accountability comes in. Uh, where the, the the you're supposed to follow the trust, but say you outline all of this, the, the person outlines all of this in their trust, and they pass away, and a trustee isn't following the trust, uh, and they're not listening to the beneficiaries. The beneficiaries can't do have a, the civil route as well, where they could sue them and and go to that extreme of it. Uh, so it's really just a, a broad spectrum of ways that a trustee can be held accountable. You would you would hope that. You would pick somebody that is is trustworthy for you, and they just do their job. Um, but oftentimes, sometimes that doesn't happen, and beneficiaries do have these vehicles to hold the trustee accountable. Yeah, one thing that I mentioned last time we talked when I was talking about the role of trustee is I talked about the fact that you can have a trust protector. So go back to the previous uh, episode and look at that, and if you want to know more about that as a solution, that's a solution for you while you're alive, for example, where you're the only beneficiary while you're alive, 
There are probably others that are hovering to to sort of watch, to look over the shoulder of the trustee, but it is a different conversation when you have beneficiaries. Now, meaning it's not you, but you have successor beneficiaries. So you would have died at this point, we'll assume. And now you say it's your children. So you have children, maybe even grandchildren that are at the same time listed as beneficiaries in some fashion. Then you worry about how do you keep this train on the track? How do you keep the trustee doing what he or she wants to do? And again, I I, I can't resist pointing out that in the substantial majority of cases, when you pick well, your judgment is upheld, meaning that that the person does end up doing okay. And usually when things go wrong, it's because not because somebody was trying to steal, but wouldn't you say it's because they had made bad decisions that they they um, they just made mistakes. I, I think that's part of it. Uh, another part of it is that people don't understand the fiduciary duty to the trust itself. Uh, if if you are a trustee for a trust, you have a what's called a fiduciary duty, and that means you have to protect the assets in that trust for the benefit of the beneficiaries. And so things like some people may may say, "Oh, I have this house, and if I sell it." That's great. There's a bunch of money, and and it's great for the trust. It's great for the beneficiaries. But if they didn't go through the proper channels to get it sold, if they didn't appraise it first, if they didn't go through a, a realtor in some cases, uh, they could that could be a breach of their fiduciary duty because they just assumed the house was worth a certain amount of money. Uh, so a lot of times you see that where people have good intentions, but they don't have good intentions for the entirety of the trust or the entirety of the beneficiaries. Yeah, and and another different form that that could take is that there could be some provisions in the trust that could forbid forbid certain actions. And the the trustee didn't know that. Maybe somebody, a professional trustee, would probably have known without reading the trust usually that certain things you can't do. But it might be that your uncle or your brother or whoever it may be uh, just didn't know. So they weren't trying to breach their fiduciary duty, but they did. And, and it can have adverse effects for the beneficiary. So... Uh, so there are reasons to keep an eye on the trustee. And so I, I want to to then complete this circle about, about one role that beneficiaries play is that they do keep an eye on the trustee. And often it is the beneficiary when something does go wrong. And as I suggested, it, this is not a routine feature in trust. Usually trustees get it right. Uh, but I would say that family members are going to be a little more vulnerable than a professional trustee. And we talk. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. Your the type the forms that 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 trustees can make vis-a-vis uh, beneficiaries. But uh, for a fuller discussion, though, do go back to our previous episode. So uh, when these mistakes though do occur, you want them to be diagnosed. You want them to be unearthed. And usually, beneficiaries who have a copy of the trust, you know, they're allowed to have a copy of the trust. They're allowed to know what the rights are vis-a-vis each other. And so that that arms them with the ability to enforce it. I mean, if you had if you had beneficiaries and they and they didn't know what the rights are, then you're not going to get the enforcement. So the, the trust is not a public document, but but you do have a duty to give it to the beneficiaries. And the beneficiaries then the good thing about it is some people don't want to give their beneficiaries these documents, but but the good thing about it is that it allows them to enforce their rights. And you can believe me, it's human nature. People enforce their rights. And 
they are they incidentally have a cause of action as as Ben suggested they can they can go to court and they can bring an action they can bring an action in probate and they can they can replace a trustee so you know they can they can even um, sometimes make amendments to the trust that's a that's a tricky thing because as a trustee you want to be sure and right have your as the settler, you want to be sure and have it written in such a way that you are not vulnerable to changes that beneficiaries might want to make. Um, but I guess since we're talking about beneficiaries, it's worth mentioning that that depending on the terms of the trust, the beneficiary can seek to make amendments. But but all this can be in the nature of trying to keep an eye on the trustee and to determine that the trustee is doing his or her duty and complaining to the court if they think that that the, the trustee is not reasonable. And a court can even financially punish the trustee. They can make a trustee pay for losses out of their pocket. So there are remedies. But so now we we, we talked about the role of the beneficiary in terms of enforcing enforcing rights. Let's talk about some of the options about whenever you're wanting to leave money for beneficiaries, um, what are some of the ways you can do that in a trust? You can there there are several ways that a person could leave their assets and their money to their beneficiaries. The simplest way is outright and free of trust. That just means here's a check, here's a specific property, here's whatever, take it and go on your way, spend it however you want. Uh, the other option is to put it in a trust for your beneficiaries. And there's several ways to do that. You can do lifetime trusts, which they will continue through the beneficiary's life, and you can that, that that somebody can can map that out. That if that beneficiary predeceases them, it would go to their descendants, the beneficiary's descendants. That is, you can also put it into a trust for a certain amount of time. If you don't trust your children to handle your money correctly until they reach a certain age, you uh, you can uh, write that out in your trust that they will have their money set aside in the trust until they turn 30 years old, and then they can take it over, or they can be appointed uh, sole trustee of that trust. Uh, it's really, it's it's up to the person drafting the trust, how they feel about their beneficiaries and, and their families, and how they would like to devise that the, their assets to their beneficiaries. Yeah, I mean, in its simplest form, that first scenario you describe where it's simply distributed, you know, hypothetically, the day after you die, and I mentioned that in the last episode, how simple um, a trust can be if you want it to be that simple and how hugely valuable that is when you consider what the cost of probate would have been. This is something where, imagine, you're not filing things with courts, you're not making court appearances, you're not um, uh, inviting people to litigate and to argue. Uh, instead, you're gathering hypothetically in a living room somewhere and uh, checks can be just written. I mean, the trustee can just write out a check, you know, 200000 to each of the children, for example, or a million to each other, whatever the number is. So while that in and of itself would sell, would many times overpay for, depending on what your estate is, but assuming you have significant assets, many times over pay for the cost of your estate planning. But I don't think that's the best way to do it. I mean, yeah, that's great, but you can make it so much better. You can make it better by having that money held in trust over time, have it protected from divorces. I mean, how many times have we seen, and you haven't seen this so much at Tucker Allen, but at Cordell and Cordell, that's when when we see where there's been this inheritance 
And suddenly that inheritance has become a marital asset because it was commingled and people didn't know how to handle assets in such a way they're not commingled. And it's difficult to keep them separate, especially if you get the money when you're married. And in the vast majority of cases, that's when they come because the parents die, the kids are over 30 or so. And so they're probably married. And and suddenly this this windfall comes to this soon-to-be ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-wife. And it causes lots of bad feelings. Matter of fact, it magnifies the conflict in many divorces, just that sense of resentment. I mean, that anger. Uh, so it was unnecessary. It was unnecessary because the money could have been left in a trust and still been available to your, your child or your son when you want them to have it. I mean, you can have those rules pretty loosely, right? Oh, absolutely. The The default is health, education, maintenance, and support. These are the ascertainable standards that your trustee would give the money to your beneficiaries if they did set up these trusts. Uh, and you can write in your trust that I want my trustee to have a very liberal interpretation of that. So pretty much anytime they need money outside of going on a, you know, 10-week cruise or something, uh, they, they can get it. Uh, but, but you're correct. It offers that divorce protection. It also offers creditor protection. So if somebody has concerns that their children or other beneficiaries uh, have run up a bunch of debts, then uh, putting their inheritance into these continuing trusts will protect against that as well. Yeah. And it could be that sometimes people kind of recoil a little bit at the suggestion that their children could be, you know, they might think that we're suggesting their kids could be deadbeat. Sorry, the fraps. But but that's really not so much the point. It is possible that kids could have bad judgment. And, uh, you know, it, it happens statistically. But that's not the point we're making. Things can go sideways in the business world. If you have a son that's entrepreneurial, a daughter, or they marry somebody who has good judgment, Meaning, I mean, you can have good judgment and still have a business where suddenly the economy tanks and suddenly there are creditors and perhaps the business fails. I mean, you would like to think that what you've left for your son or daughter is going to be insulated from those those wins that characterize virtually any life to some extent, some more than others. But that's the beauty of this trust. And whenever you just have the money distributed – it's just a, it's such a, a poor use of the trust. The trust still is giving you lots of benefit, but you could do so much better. And my with my children, I'll I say this. I've said this more than once that you know my children. I, I'm doing what I speak, meaning that I don't want them to have whatever my my wife and I leave when we pass away outright. And nor do they want it outright. Because they are smart enough to know, because they've heard me say this enough at dinner table, they're smart enough to know that, that oh, it's much better to have it wrapped in this, this Teflon package. And suddenly they can have it as a practical matter when they want it in practical terms. But it's still, there'll be discretionary terms, for example, given the trustee, as you were mentioning, Ben. And, and yet they have all these wonderful protections. Now, my daughters never think they'll get divorced, uh, but you know nobody plans on getting divorced. It's the it's the way of the world, and and I think that that trusts give beneficiaries ways to benefit that are beyond what they would have thought. They would have thought that it would have been just to get the money, but it's better than that. When you're when people are deciding, let's talk a little bit about how to allocate it among beneficiaries. When people are deciding how to distribute money among multiple children. 
talk about the tendency, which I'm sure is there, to give an equal share to every child versus a child that's had special challenges, uh, whether it's health or something else, um, or a child that has been blessed with a ton of money, meaning they've done really well in their business. I mean, do you do you still see parents that typically do equal shares, or what's some of the alternatives? Typically, what I've seen is is equal shares. So I can't speak too much on dividing it out uh, une- unequally. Uh, when I have seen that, it's been like you said that they take into account. Oh my! My son is really my older son is really good with money, and he has a bunch of money already. Uh, my younger son not so much, so we need to help him out a little bit. Families as well. Uh, parents will give more deference to to their children with families because they have more people to take care of. Um, but yeah, but but mostly I've seen splitting it fairly even. So uh, a special needs child. Talk a little bit about that. Yes. So there's something that. Uh, that that trustees can also uh, grantors rather can also set up. Uh, it's called a supplemental needs trust, and the point of a supplemental needs trust is uh, that it's it's similar to a continuing trust, like we talked about. That when you give your beneficiaries their inheritance, it will be put into the trust with a trustee. Uh, what a supplemental needs trust does it is it insulates this inheritance from or it, it prevents the the inheritance from kicking the beneficiary off of any governmental assistance. Uh, so a lot of times if somebody is on some disability payments from the government, they have a certain threshold or a certain cliff that they need to stay under, uh, that their income needs to stay under. And with uh, in a normal trust scenario where when they would just inherit a bunch of money, it could disqualify them from benefits. Uh, what a supplemental needs trust does is it has special language that details this and tells the trustee to um, only give money to supplement their needs. Don't give them it uh, on a regular basis uh, and to a point where it could disqualify them from these benefits. Yeah, that's huge. That's one of the problems with leaving money to people who are getting some sort of federal benefit or state, usually federal. I mean, there's the the benefits that are available to people who need who need lifetime care, uh, such as the ability to stay in some sort of assisted care facility or even a skilled care facility, which is equivalent of a nursing home where the cost is very expensive. Um, they may need certain types of other assistance or resources that that would cost a ton of money if you're paying out of pocket. So in order to qualify for those, believe it or not, you have to be virtually broke. I mean, the rules are very harsh. Um, It's similar to the rules, in some cases, in most states, identical to the rules of qualifying for Medicaid. So Medicaid is available to people who are poor. And poor means like Less than a few thousand in Missouri. Last I looked, a few thousand dollars in, in a few thousand dollars in assets, a few thousand dollars in total assets. Now there are a few things that might not be considered, which are unimportant. Meaning, like you get two thousand for a car, a thousand dollars, I think, for the the uh, cash value of a life insurance policy. I mean, I just it's it's utterly uh, unimpressive the things that that the the legislature in its grace allows you to keep apart from this two thousand dollars so it's a harsh thing to qualify for so so the point that that Ben was making just now is that 
the only way that you can be of any real help to somebody who has the ability to qualify for these wonderful, hugely valuable, hundreds of thousand dollars a year in some cases in value that are available through federal and, and state programs, the only way that you can allow them to qualify for those is to not give them any money. And some, some people may think that's, that's something they're not comfortable with, and I understand why. But, but it, it is a little better than that, though. It's a better that you can actually, by providing them money, you can give them some things that, that do not cause you to lose that. They're allowed to have money available for certain things. Do you know what some of those things are? So it's typically it's a broader standard than the health, education, maintenance, and support uh, because you're taking into account that this may be their only source of income. Uh, so the it 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 can expand to things like gifts for family members and and things like that. I know that's a big one that people sometimes worry about. Travel under some circumstances. Travel under some circumstances. Uh, yeah, gifts like I said. I'm trying to think of others. But, Supplies uh, that they might you might not regard as being essential. We're not talking about food or clothing. But supplies of things that they do during the day, it's uh, it's pretty squishy. So there is room for interpretation. Okay, we're going to wrap this subject up right now because I'm going to break this into two parts. Uh, it ended up being a little longer than we thought, so so we thought we'll go ahead and make the subject of beneficiaries two different episodes. So we're going to conclude this episode now. It, it, you can go to our website and pick up with the next episode. So this has been another episode of Life's Third Act, and it'll be talking about beneficiaries again. Thanks. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week, we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.